Tonight on Rhode Island PBS Weekly. He's a wine merchant by day with talent and big dreams who hopes someday to be the Charles Schultz of Rhode Island. I would never tell anybody that, but it's obviously in my head, but it's the day-to-day the -day is just getting the comic out the door. I was like two years ahead of my daily, you know, deadline, and then I had two kids, and now I'm like, you know, three weeks ahead. <laughs> soon, soon you'll be raising to catch up. <laughs> it gets easier in some ways and harder in others. I believe it. As they grow. But you'll get lots of new ideas. That's probably. what I'm hoping for. That's the only reason I had the kids. <laughs> It feels like your body goes on fire. It's six degrees, but the sun is rising, the, the, the water is lapping beautifully as it, it crashes the sand, and it's just a beautiful morning to go in. How's it feel? Good. So good. Good evening. Welcome to Rhode Island PBS Weekly. I'm Pamela Watts. Michelle San Miguel is off tonight. First up, Peanuts cartoonist Charles Schultz offered this piece of advice to the next generation. Learn to laugh at yourself. Rhode Islander Will Wilson has taken that lesson to heart. His syndicated cartoon appears in more than 100 newspapers nationwide. But as contributing reporter David Wright discovered, Wallace the Brave takes its inspiration closer to home in southern Rhode Island. Three. <laughs> Father and son dockside, enjoying a bit of mischief in Jamestown, just across the water from Newport. It's exactly the sort of scene you might find in the comic strip Wallace the Brave, set in a mythical seaside village called Snug Harbor. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure as most Islanders know, there is an actual Snug Harbor, uh, a little south of where we are in Jamestown. And, um, you know, I grew up in Matunic, and uh, I love, you know, southern Rhode Island. Uh, but Snug Harbor, the name always had a nice ring to it, so I, I thought it would be appropriate for a, uh, you know, a quaint little seaside town. That's William Henry Wilson. Like some of the great comic book superheroes, he has a secret identity. Uh, 2172. By day, he owns and operates Grapes and Gourmet, a local wine shop. But he's also a nationally syndicated cartoonist under the pen name Will Henry. What pays the bills, the comic strip or the liquor store? It's the comic strip now, which is, uh, it's a dream come true. But the liquor store was kind of an uh, opportunistic um, endeavor. You know, I was working here in my early 20s and it, the owner was very nice. It went up for sale. He lived in Arizona, didn't really want to be here anymore. And uh, he offered it to me at a discount price, and I took advantage of that price. <laughs> and uh, because I was trying to do cartoons, I would just, I brought my drawing desk down here. That little drafting table under the wine rack, his window onto the world. Cartooning was something he used to do in his downtime, but it was always his dream job. I got my real first taste of professional cartooning at uh, the University of Connecticut, where I was writing for the Daily Campus. And... Uh, it was cool. They paid like, you know, 15 bucks a week for three comics, which was enough for like a 30-pack and a Big Mac. And it was called Dormates? Uh, roommates. 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 And it was about, you know, a, a typical comic strip. A couple roommates and their, you know, 
beer drinking mouse that lives in the house. Was the subject matter more adult than? Uh, oh, of course. Nineteen-year-old <laughs> <laughs> kid living in a dorm room. Uh, yeah, it was uh, a little more adult. A little more adult. After he graduated, he tried his hand at a newlywed comic strip, Ordinary Bill. That was about my wife and I, you know, in our in our mid mid twenties, um, starting a family. Not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, that was. It was definitely before the family, but um, it was. Uh, it was more about a relationship, kind of a autobiographical uh, comic, and it was a lot of fun to draw. But it, 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 I kind of wrote myself into a box with it. So, it, it how didn't, so? Well, it, it was about my wife and I, and um, when I would write uh, a storyline that I wanted to explore the characters, um, you would get in trouble. In I would marriage. get in trouble. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> If I did a comic about where well, the characters would break up for a little bit because I wanted to see what the characters would do, you know, I'd have my mother-in-law call me up and say, what's going on over there? And then how'd you come up with Wallace the Brave? Uh, I was sitting in that uh, <laughs> drawing table in there and looking out the window and I saw, I, I just, I saw a kid on a pylon and it was summertime and they were laughing and another kid came and just pushed him off of it and he fell in the water and splashed and he popped out and he was laughing, ear to ear, just so happy. And I thought, that is, that's a moment I want to capture. You know, a fun, ocean, kids being kids. And, and there was like a, a click moment where uh, I saw a path to a successful comic strip. Very briefly, for those unfamiliar, here are the dramatis personae. The main character is Wallace. Um, he's a, uh, just an energetic, happy, very positive, uh, kid. You know, I wanted to butt the whole trend of um, parents not being very supportive of them, or of, of kids, or, you know, kids being kind of whiny brats. You know, I wanted a very positive, happy family, which is what I experience. Um, but he's the main character. His best friend is Spud, who's kind of the neurotic, he's a weird kid. And he's very self-conscious of those weird things. But Wallace celebrates them. And I think that's what, what makes them click. There's Wallace's kid brother, Sterling, who never met a bug he wouldn't eat. And then there's Amelia, who's the new girl in town. She's very feisty. Um, she's the one that likes the phone. She's the one that doesn't have much patience <laughs> for them. How close is this family to people that you know? Who are, who are, the, are the characters uh, based on anyone in particular? For suspiciously instance, close. There's feisty <laughs> Amelia. And mm -hmm. your sister's name, suspiciously yes. enough, is Amelia. <laughs> and I would never cross her. <laughs> uh, the characters are, are very much based on, uh, they're actually based on my family. Um, you know, my, my little brother, Ian, he is kind of based. Eats a lot of bugs. As a kid, he was wild. They used to call him Naked Ian. <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> That's Ian with William's son, both of whom inspired bug-eating Sterling. People have compared it to Peanuts, to Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, it's old-fashioned in a way. Yeah. I, uh, I'm trying to build a world where um, the kids are, th there is technology in their world, but I, I want Wallace, the main character, to be the one that says, that stuff is fine, but I enjoy being out in nature. I enjoy being out just the world. That indifference to technology is something Wallace comes by honestly. I'm an old school guy, I still have a flip phone, you know, we still have an Apple TV from like 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a little bit of that trickles into my comic. Right. It's the world you hope for your kids. I hope so. Yeah, really, absolutely. The inspiration, always close to home. 
The weird thing is, when I first started drawing this comic, uh, I was maybe 29, 28. I had no kids. I was married. And the characters, especially the parents and the kids, were, were very much based on my experience as me being the child and the parent characters were my parents. After a couple kids and like, you know, being in the family life, I've noticed the parents have kind of evolved into my wife and I. And uh, the kid characters, I see a lot more of my kids in them. Interesting. So there's been an evolution of that, uh, you know, personally and in the comic strip. In other words, the cartoonist and his character have evolved together. A lot of the stuff I wrote about my parents was a little more idealized because it was memories of childhood as opposed to experience it real life. Uh, and which has its pluses, you know, it's, you know, rose-colored glasses, I suppose. Can you point to an example where you got an idea from something that happened in your own life? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was a, a comic that just ran last Sunday where, uh, you know, when I draw my comics, I'll either draw them here at the liquor store or up in my, you know, studio. And one time I, I came down from the studio and like, you know, my, my wife is wearing like a cape and like a Dr. Seuss hat and she's holding the ladle and the kids are like half naked <laughs> and they got stuff all over them and they're playing this imaginary game. And I just thought, this is crazy. <laughs> like, what are you doing, honey? <laughs> and uh, they all made fun of me because I wasn't in costume. And uh, so I, those kind of, the, uh, you know, moments I, I try to capture for the comic because they're surprising to me, but they're real. It's the kind of comic strip that, that does have multiple audiences, it would seem. Oh, like, yeah. There's I a level so. at, at which kids would enjoy it, but also the grown-ups get a crack out of it, too. I hope so. I mean, that's kind of like that, that like Pixar sweet spot, you know, where everybody can en enjoy the feature. And uh, Who were your influences? Oh, I mean, you know what? I'm going to... Or who, who, who do you really admire? You know... I, I can say all the comic strips you've heard of, but I'm going to talk about comic strips that are being done right now that I admire. Um, Dunce is a Norwegian comic, which I just, I love. I love. It's about uh, a, a father and son living above the Arctic Circle. Um, and then I love Macanudo, which is an uh, Argentinian comic. By yeah, that's so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that, that's a great comic. I find a lot of inspiration in that. But do you hope someday to be in the pantheon of the ones that are more familiar to our audience at least? Secretly, yes. The I would Charles never... <laughs> Schultz of Rhode Island? I would never tell anybody that, but it's obviously in my head, but it's the day-to-day the -day is just getting the comic out the door. It's a daily comic, and it's, I don't want to say it's a grueling schedule, but uh, it's a quick schedule. I work four days a week uh, with some nighttime coloring, so you know, I, I'll, probably do, I'll probably do seven to eight a week which kind of banks some for later. Right. Uh, I was like two years ahead of my daily, you know, deadline. And then I had two kids, and now I'm like, you know, three weeks ahead. <laughs> <laughs> soon, soon you'll be raising to catch up. <laughs> it gets easier in some ways and harder in others. I believe it. As they grow. But you'll get lots of new ideas, That's probably. what I'm hoping for. That's the only reason I had the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Our thanks to David Wright for that report. Next, you might not know Jeff Kinney by name, but you do know his alter ego, who has received international fame. Greg Hefley is the hero of the children's book series, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. When we first reported this story back in December, Kinney's 16th book had just been published, and Disney Plus had just premiered an animated movie about the beleaguered middle schooler. We spent time with the author-illustrator who lives in our area and learned how Kinney is using his fame to give back to his small town, his 
is an unlikely story. I think kids were looking for a character who wasn't heroic, who was, who was flawed. And I was flawed as a kid, I'm flawed as a, as a grown-up. Author and illustrator Jeff Kinney has transformed those flaws into fiction that's captured the imagination of kids all over the world. He created Greg Heffley, the middle schooler who keeps a comic journal about his daily antics in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. His 16th book has just been published. Kinney's headquarters is this spacious third floor studio in Plainville, Massachusetts, next door to North Attleboro. I feel like this place is like the Muppet Show. Backstage at the Muppet Show, I just buzz through here and do my work and there's always something crazy going on like children's yoga or the ukulele group. There's always something really fun going on. That's because this literary hub is also a community center. Kinney rescued the decaying 1800s general store in Plainville called Falk's Market and renamed it an unlikely story. Inside is an independent bookstore and cafe on the first floor, performance space on the second story, and Kinney's studio at the top. Is yours an unlikely story? Yeah, I guess it's unremarkable in some ways. I'm just a, you know, an average guy of average intellect and average abilities um, who kind of got lucky. Luck and a lot of perseverance. The Wimpy Kid series is one of the most successful books of its kind. Kinney has sold more than 250 million copies and been on the New York Times bestseller list for more than 800 weeks. You've seen Greg Heffley's image as two different balloons in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. There have been Wimpy Kid movies. The series has been published in 74 different languages, and sometimes something gets lost in translation. Not every country has a word for wimpy. Yeah, in Brazil they call it Diário de um Banana, right, which means Diary of a Banana. So Greg Heffley is kind of like he's shaped sort of like a banana. I've heard him described as kind of a smart Alex sad sack. How do you describe him? He's just an imperfect kid. I think in a way Greg Heffley, he's the comedian on stage who's telling you about his experiences and in his foibles, right? His imperfections are very important and very central to the character. So what you get as an audience member is a laugh because you can recognize yourself. Just reading it and reading it and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. I find a couple of funny parts and I'm laughing. Sixth grader Anthony Gill says he can really relate to the character of Greg. Well, I do a lot of crazy things to annoy some of my friends, my brothers, my parents. And kids are amused by the agonizingly awkward stories of being a middle schooler. For a second I thought everything was going to be okay. Then I noticed something drifting away from me and I realized it was my bathing suit. Greg Heffley is weird. Much of the weird and amusing material comes from Kinney's siblings. His is a storyteller family. Kinney's dad encouraged the humor. Yeah, my father actually started each morning by reading the comics and then leaving the newspaper open to the comics page. It was the Washington Post. And, you know, those comics at the top of the page, um, Bill Watterson's Calvin and Hobbes, Charles Schultz's Peanuts, Burke Breathed's um, Bloom County, those were the comics that I wanted to emulate. And he did. Kinney says as a child he was a keen observer of people and loved doodling. 
There's a real reason for his preoccupation with art. I've got attention deficit disorder, so I was always drawing in class. So whenever the teacher was talking, I was drawing. And they'd sometimes read that as me not paying attention, but it's actually how I paid attention. If I was in a meeting right now, I'd definitely be drawing. Is it hard to discipline yourself to sit and write and draw when you do have ADD? Yeah, for some people, I think attention deficit disorder and even other challenges like dyslexia end up being a blessing, a tool, a gift, and, and that's how it's been for me. It's, it's difficult to harness those challenges, but I've been very lucky because having attention deficit disorder really keeps me nimble. It makes it so that I can bounce from one topic to the next. The topic he concentrated on in college was comics. I had this cartoon at the University of Maryland, and it was called Igdoof, and the, the readership there was about 30,000 daily for the print paper. Um, and that was a great audience for me. You know, in fact, I, I spent most of my time in college working on my comic and not on my studies, unfortunately. Fortunately, though, Igdoof morphed into Greg, but Kinney's success story didn't happen overnight. I really needed eight, nine, ten years to become an expert at this one small thing, which was Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I needed all the time that, that I spent developing this because when I finally had my opportunity and met an editor who was looking for this kind of work, I was actually ready for it. And I think that's really different than um, sort of where things are today with social media is that you're encouraged to kind of put up your first thought, share it, get feedback, iterate on it. That's the modern way, but it's, it takes a lot more time to get good at something. Kinney is also good at video games. He worked for a software company while writing his first book at night. He launched Pop Tropica the same year he published the first Diary of a Wimpy Kid. A lot of people complain that kids spend too much time online, and yet you have created an online game and world. Isn't that contradictory? Yeah, I think that it's really interesting because on the one hand, I'm luring kids to the screens, on the other hand, I'm luring them to the bookshelves, you know. Um, it, it does seem like there's a big dichotomy there, but what they had in common was that they're both ways of telling stories. Kinney believes his storytelling method, long-form comics, is key to what makes the diary of a wimpy kid a hit. The art is, is the language of comic strips. So usually a children's book will be an illustrated children's book where you'll have text and, and then a picture and text and a picture. And the picture usually just describes what's happening in the text. In the wimpy kid books, the, the, the cartoons actually finish the thought of the text. Kinney says he's not finished with his many projects. He wants to bring a modern-day town square to Plainville. Ultimately, you know, we're hoping to, to majorly revitalize the downtown. Brian Kelly, chair of Plainville's select board, says Kinney's investment has already made a positive change in the small town. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our downtown for, you know, for years has been almost like a time capsule. For instance, the uh, before Unlikely Story was built, if you thought of Plainville or saw a picture of Plainville, you saw the Plainville Pharmacy sign. It was akin to the, you know, Welcome to Las Vegas sign in Plainville. Kelly says downtown Plainville looks like it was frozen in the 50s. 
Hollywood recently set a sci-fi movie at this Plainfield diner. Kelly adds Kinney's restoration work preserves the town's charm. In our town, in a spot that, you know, means so much to the town, you know, this was the heart of the community for decades and decades, and then it was gone, you know, and so to have something this beautiful be put in its place, it looks like it was picked up from Newport and dropped here in the center of Plainville. Kinney says Plainville, where he has lived with his wife for a quarter century and raised two sons, is friendly, unpretentious, and he plans to stay for the next chapter of his life. There's really a sense of town, and I've really fallen in love with that idea. I think a lot of people move to a small town like this because they want to feel like they're part of a, a small community. I think that my wife and I, we realize that we're going to probably live out our days here. The bookstore is really going to tie us to this area because why would we ever move away? Our special thanks to Anthony Gill, Evan Miller, and Cameron Simmer, all sixth graders at the B.H. Wood Elementary School in Plainville. And finally, a story that just may give you the shivers. Over the last few weeks, many of us have shunned the cold temperatures of the outdoors, choosing instead to sit in front of our televisions to watch the Winter Olympic Games. Tonight, we meet a small but very hardy group of Rhode Islanders who are embracing the cold, immersing themselves in frigid ocean waters for sport, health, and community. Senior producer Justin Kenny has been out on the beaches of Rhode Island to meet these winter swimmers and dippers, and he brings us this story. I'm Mike Garr and I'm a winter swimmer. I'm from Kingston, Rhode Island. It feels like your body goes on fire when you go in the water because your skin responds to the cold water in a big way. Uh, in the middle of uh, the winter, we've been swimming for about six to eight minutes. I think it takes about a month to get kind of used to doing it on a regular basis. I had heard from a couple of friends of mine that it was really, really beneficial and that it really stimulated your, your nervous system and I decided to give it a try three years ago. I can't speak very well, but I feel good. <laughs> We just know that we're going to feel like a million dollars like two or three hours after we do it, so we look forward to it every time. We have a great deal of anticipation for each time we do one of these plunges. Once the suit's off, then I won't have so much chilling. Hi, I'm Rachel Balaban. I'm from Middletown, Rhode Island, and I am a cold water swimmer. I think I was looking for something new and different, uh, something to break the tedium of COVID and I knew there were health benefits and it seemed like a really great idea. I, I just feel energized and I feel um, I haven't gotten sick. You know, I really have had fewer colds for sure. Um, I'm also, my threshold for cold has certainly uh, risen.
my approach is to go very slowly and mindfully and to breathe deeply and a very um, mindful approach to the water allows me to really adjust and not feel overly um, anxious and the the deeper I go into my breath and I uh, the more accustomed to the water I feel the more peaceful I feel so about after two minutes I'm feeling pretty great then the question really becomes making sure you get out before uh, you've stayed in too long My name is Jen O'Hearn. I'm from South Kingston, Rhode Island. Grew up in Narragansett. Uh, and I am the founder of the Rhode Island Cold Dip Crew. The Rhode Island Cold Dip Crew is, I'd like to say it's a group of us, but sometimes it's just myself. Uh, and I tend to go into the water mostly at sunrise, um, starting in November and through, really through the whole winter. So the difference between dipping and swimming is that we tend not to go all the way over our heads. There are some people that like to go and just kind of do a quick dip under fully. Um, for me personally, I just go up to my shoulders. This is just gradually walking in, using your breath to control your fear and getting your body under control in the extreme cold temperatures. Benefits that I have found and that there is some science behind it is it's great for your cardiovascular system, it's great for your lymphatic system, it helps with natural immunity, it helps with your mood, um, it gets, lets you have better sleep, you can lose some weight, and it allows you to be brave. The coldest day I've had was minus five as I left town. When I got to the beach, it was about four degrees and I, the steam was coming off the water and it's just so beautiful. I would say today is a day just like that. It's six degrees, but the sun is rising, the, the, the water is lapping beautifully as it, it crashes the sand, and it's just a beautiful morning to go in. How's it feel? Good. So good. My name is Christina Lawrenson. I'm from Coventry, Rhode Island, and I am a winter swimmer. We're a group of um, a couple different swimmers that swim around Rhode Island. Um, we're the ones that stick it out through the winter. Um, so a lot of us swim off of uh, Jamestown Island. Um, and right now we're trying to tour other beaches. I worry about hypothermia. I, you know, I have certain rules to try to keep me safe. Um, I promised my husband that I wouldn't swim above my uh, above my head. So, um, you know, if I ever feel like I'm getting in trouble, I can stand up and you know get out of the water more easily. And I also just try to not stay in too long. And what type of person does this? Uh, <laughs> a tough person, I think. Um, you know, it's, it's always, it does definitely take some mental toughness to do it. Some people definitely think I'm crazy. 
Although several studies have suggested a wide variety of health benefits from cold water swimming, it's important to check with your doctor before starting the activity. And that's our broadcast for this evening. Before we go, a quick announcement. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is now also a podcast. Please be sure to download our episodes, which are available on all your favorite audio streaming platforms. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pamela Watts. We'll be back next week with another edition of Rhode Island PBS Weekly. <laughs>